Hello, my friends. This is Spencer Michaud, and today we are going to be talking about the astrology of February 2022. Thank you all for joining me today. Uh, I am seeing a lot of wonderful uh, participation in the chat already. So if you are joining me from digital land here live, please uh, say hi to me in the chat and let me know where you're stopping in from. Um, we've got Bonnie coming from Santa Monica. Andrea is here from Croatia. Lynn is stopping in from Vermont and Azur is here from France. So welcome to all of you and all of you that are listening um, in real time or sometime in the future. Hello, June coming in from Maui as well. So we're going to go on a journey today. We're going to go on a deep dive of both Aquarius and some Piscean archetypes. We're going to explore the astrology of the entire month of February, um, split into 10 degree decanic sections of the journey of the sun. So I will explain some of the main themes associated with Aquarius 2, um, between 10 and 20 degrees of Aquarius, Aquarius 3, which is between 20 and 30 degrees of Aquarius, and then we'll, we'll do some things with the beginning decan of Pisces as well. So I'll break those down. I'll give you some of the things to look out for. We'll do an I Ching and an animal symbol for the month. And uh, yeah, well, and if you have any questions, feel free to put them in the chat box and I'll try to make sure I get to them. Uh, just a little business before we get started here. Um, if you would like to support the work that I do here, there is a little dollar sign in the chat that's called a super chat or a super sticker. Those donations are always so much appreciated here. Uh, it gives me the time to do all this research with all these books that I have here. And um, I, I really am just so grateful for all of you who contribute in that way. Um, I'm just happy that you're here, though. So another thing that you can do if you want to help out is hit that like button. And if you're not subscribed to the channel, make sure that you subscribe. I do have some offerings coming up. If you are interested in learning more about the Deccans that I'm specifically talking about here today, I do a really deep dive in these webinars that I've been doing, helping people to find meaning for these different signs within their own lives. Um, one common misconception is that if we don't have any planets in a particular sign, that that sign might not be important for us. But we all have uh, every sign within our natal chart. It represents a different portion of our life and different topics within our life. So for example, with Aquarius, you might have Aquarius in your seventh house that represents your partners or something of that nature. You might have it in your second house, which may uh, give you some insight in how you deal with your money and your resources. So what I have coming up is a, is a Decans of Aquarius webinar that's going to be on February the 12th, which is a Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, you can find a link to that in the description of this video. I'm also offering a winter bundle where you can sign up for Capricorn, Aquarius, and Pisces. I will send you the replay files from the Capricorn webinar that we just did last weekend, which was a lot of fun. And um, yeah, you can use the, the coupon code Aquarius20 to get 20% off either the bundle or the Aquarius Deccans webinar until the 1st of February. So those are the, the business things to, to get out of the way here. Uh, thank you for your kind comments about the webinar there in the chat. Bonnie, I'm glad that people have been joining us. A lot of the people that join us on these chats here have been coming to the webinars, and it's been a really great community-building experience for me, too. We have a nice discussion about uh, some of the myths and stories and personal experiences that people have with these particular placements as well. Okay, so that is what I've got for on the business side. Of course, we're in the beginning of the year, so if you are uh, feeling challenged with some of these transits, feel free to reach out for a reading. I do have time in my schedule to 
do readings for people so you can find that in the description as well. So I hope that you're all doing well out there. We've got a few more people joining us. Hello, Jackie from Asheville, North Carolina. Nice to see you. Craig is here from Iowa City. Nice to see you, my friend. Um, so thank you all for joining us here. So a couple big picture thoughts before I dive into it. Um, we're going to look at the new moon that we have that, that starts the very beginning of the month. Uh, we're going to examine the full moon on the 16th of February. Uh, I've got a couple guests coming up for the new and the full moon. So we've got Gary Caton coming up on, I believe, January the 27th, which is next week, to discuss the new moon in Aquarius. And my good friend Dulcie Cardinal will be joining me on February the 9th to talk about the full moon in Leo in depth. So we've got those two lunations that we're dealing with this month. Uh, we also have a first quarter moon on the 8th of February and a last quarter moon on the 23rd. And I'll talk about those when we break things down in detail. Um, we have two ingresses this month, and an ingress means a planet moving into a new sign. So we have Mercury moving into Aquarius, moving out of Capricorn after stationing direct this month. And then we have the Sun moving into Pisces. So just two planets changing signs. We do have one station. Station is when a planet switches direction, slows down and turns retrograde or, or turns direct once again. So Mercury will be turning direct at 24 degrees of Capricorn on February the third. And as far as those ingresses go, we've got Mercury moving into Aquarius on the 14th of February and the Sun moving into Pisces on the 18th of February. We have a couple solar phases this month, and this is something that I really like to pay attention to, especially in regards to traditional astrology and some of the things I've learned with this. Solar phases is the relationship of a planet to the Sun. And these are really important moments for the, the kind of collective cycles that we're going through with these different planets. So we have a couple of really important ones this month. We have the Kazemi or the conjunction of Saturn and the Sun that's going to be happening on February the 4th at 15 degrees of Aquarius. So I'll break that one down in a second. We also have what's called the heliacal setting or the heliacal, I believe it, it's the heliacal evening set of Jupiter. Uh, at 10 degrees of Pisces on the 13th of February. And what that means is that, that that is when Jupiter, or any planet really, is going underneath the beams of the sun and becoming invisible. It's, it's sort of the ending of a Jupiter cycle that's preparing us for the new start that we're going to have when Jupiter conjoins the sun in early March. Um, so we'll break that down in depth. Saturn is also going to make its heliacal rise on the 21st of February. So that means that Saturn, after being reborn in the heart of the sun, is going to rise and become visible again. And some of the, the new um, systems that may have gotten put into place at that Kazemi moment of Saturn are going to start to become visible within the collective. So those are some of the big picture themes that I'm seeing for the month so far. Um, we've got Mercury stationing direct Saturn Kazemi. We've got a, a conjunction with Mercury and Pluto this month. Um, the sun is going to be at the bending of the nodes, which is, is, is a pretty interesting kind of phenomenon where the sun is going to be squared the north and the south node of the moon. And that can be a really pivotal, important turning point. So we'll cover that. That's going to be very close to the full moon in February. Uh, of course, we've got Mercury moving signs. We have a Mars-Venus conjunction in the sign of Capricorn as well. That is going to be the first of two conjunctions that are going to happen within a month of each other. 
Um, and then we have to end the month, we're going to have a, a Mercury squaring Uranus. Um, so, so maybe some shakeups in our communication and, and how we're dealing with our resources because we have uh, the Uranus moving through Taurus. And of course, this is the first month, really, um, the first full month that we have with the nodes in both Taurus and Scorpio. So that really shifts uh, some of our collective themes as well. All right. That I've got a hexagram for you later on that's one hexagram. It's hexagram number 62 we'll talk about, which talks about kind of keeping things um, humble, right? Like kind of not going beyond our capabilities. So we'll, we'll talk about that, but keep that in mind as we're talking about all of these aspects this month. That, that um, the, the, the quote we have for that is the, the bird that flies too high loses its song. So we may have a period of time right now where we don't necessarily have all the information or all the resources that we need to achieve the big plan, but we have to pay attention to those daily practices, those daily habits, those small actions that can lead to a bigger unfolding. And the animal symbol uh, is, a, is kind of a disgusting one uh, that for a lot of people, it's the fly. So we'll talk about uh, kind of some of the themes about finding value in things that other people may have thrown away since a fly is a, a creature that, um, you know, eats garbage and things like that, but it pro proliferates. It's a very small creature that proliferates uh, very quickly. So a lot of these small actions might be able to add up. So these are kind of some of the big picture themes to think about as we, as we dive into some of the nitty gritty details. Okay. So the first thing I wanted to show you uh, as, as we go into the first third of the month is we are, as I record this now, we are dealing with the sun. This is January the 21st. It's a Friday. Uh, we're dealing with the first decan of Aquarius, which, you know, Austin Coppock calls, uh, I believe this is called the, a mark of exile. And in the first decan of Aquarius, we see a conflict and we see a victor and we see uh, some, some folks going off into the distance after a defeat. That is one of the words for this card, defeat. So we may be experiencing something where we had a, a hope or a dream or an aspiration where we're not necessarily able to achieve that right now. The first thing that popped into my mind with this uh, is, you know, some of the things with the voting rights bill. Uh, we recently, right as the sun moved into Aquarius or right at the end of the Capricorn season, we saw that there's probably not going to be progress in America for this bill that would, would ensure equal access to voting rights across many different states. So to me, that's probably one of the bigger defeats that I can think of. And if you have other things that you're thinking of, please let me know in the chat if you can see some of these other themes. And this may be a, a disappointment that, that um, we're going to have to reconcile as a community and go through the journey of leaving behind this old past and going off into some kind of unknown. And we're dealing with Saturn territory here. We're dealing with Saturn in its uh, diurnal phase, where it is the uh, kind of the, the exile and separation that we see with Saturn and Aquarius is that separation from Earth and sky. You know, we, we, some in modern astrology, they, they think that um, Uranus is the, the, uh, one of the, I don't know, hosts of this particular sign. And it's interesting that even, even as a traditional astrologer who, who doesn't use the, the modern planets as sign rulers, there is some interesting mythology that we might be able to apply to this as far as like Uranus representing the sky and the separation from Earth and sky. 
Um, I'm seeing some more people stopping in in the chat. Laura, nice to see you here. Laura, this, Laura Chung has a, a wonderful podcast as well. I'll be a guest on Laura's podcast coming up in February as well. So keep your eyes out for that. Um, so one of these things that we're dealing with now is maybe some of the disappointment over potentially not being able to move forward with a, a, maybe a more egalitarian type of system. And how do we pick the pieces up after that? So we're dealing with at the very beginning of the month with a decking called Heaven and Earth in Austin Coppock's 36 Faces. And here we see the transition from this conflict to the Six of Swords, which is dealing with a transition point. So we have one of the new things that I've been exploring with the tarot and the decans, and I'll get into this in, in much more depth as we get uh, into the webinars of Aquarius, uh, the decans of Aquarius webinar, is the relationship of the tarot with the Kabbalistic tree of life, the Sephira. So these are basically like chakra energy centers that are uh, symbols for different types of divine energies that we may be trying to balance out and flow through. And in these particular cards, we have in the fives, uh, the Sephira of Gabura. And Gabura is sort of this kind of like conflict, uh, sort of the severity, uh, extreme discipline, potentially a container for the limitlessness of Hesed that we saw in the fours of the tarot. And as we're moving into this first decan of February that we have here, we're moving into the sixes. And sixes are related to a Sephira called Tiferet. And Tiferet is the middle point of the tree of life. It is related to the sun and as a planetary energy, although this Deccan has rulerships uh, with it's a double Mercury Deccan according to the descending Chaldean order and the triplicity system. So we're trying to deal with this centralized quality where we have kind of the, the balance point between this conflict and then this leaving the, the known completely, this transition point. So what we might be experiencing in the very beginning of the month is trying to find balance and communication between um, the people in the, the center and the people that have been exiled to the frontier or the periphery. So we, we have these communications between people in power and people that may be starting to get frustrated that they are you know, being cast out. One of the things that I like to think about with Capricorn versus Aquarius is Saturn is the boundary planet in the celestial sphere model. And we have everything that's inside the boundary of Saturn, and we have everything that's outside. And Aquarius, you might be able to think about what is outside the walls of the castle? What is outside the orthodox system? What is outside the known? Um, what is outside our immediate experience? And being able to maybe see things from a different perspective. That's one of the things that I was really interesting about the fly, the, the symbol that we were, the animal symbol we were talking about is it does have two eyes, but it has 4,000 small eyes within those two, like, you know, visible eyes. And it's able to see things from so many different angles because of that type of vision. And this may be the type of Aquarian vision that we're experiencing as well as seeing things from so many different perspectives and being able to hopefully relate to people in a way that is more fair, egalitarian, and, and creating an intellectual system that we can draw upon the, the material creation of society as well. You can think of Saturn as like providing a blueprint. And that blueprint 
is taken by Jupiter, which they, in traditional astrology, they would call a demiurge, and is able to beget things into being. Jupiter was, in, in classical mythology, was Zeus, who, who basically had many, many children. He would, he would mate with humans, he would mate with, with gods, and he beget all these children. You can think of him as creating all these things, but it's coming from that Saturnian blueprint of what is possible and what isn't. So we have limitations in regards to what we can build from. So that's something to consider that we're still in Saturnian territory. Another book that I really like, you can see I'm surrounded by all my books here today, is that uh, is, is a book called A Tiny Universe by Joy Usher. And in A Tiny Universe, Joy Usher talks about Saturn in Aquarius in particular as someone who is uh, limiting the narrative and only letting this a certain amount of information come in that supports a specific viewpoint. So the, the, she compares it to a glass ceiling where there are these belief systems that keep us in this sense of, of limitation. So one of the things I want you to do over the course of this month is examine the belief systems that may keep you feeling small. Um, examine the belief systems that we share as communities and how that may be affecting how we organize our society. Um, I think the, the, the danger of Aquarius Saturn is only listening to a, a stream of information that supports a particular crystallized belief system. So you have to be, you have to sort of open up to maybe multiple perspectives around this period of time so that you're not just only listening to something in an echo chamber, because that can be, that, that kind of thinking can become really strong with Aquarius placements. It's, it's almost like saying, I only want to see this point of view. And remember, Aquarius is a fixed sign. So there is a, a little bit of a stubbornness associated with it, but it's an intellectual stubbornness. Um, so, I mean, it can be very progressive. One of the, another myth that's associated with Aquarius and by various authors is Prometheus, uh, the myth of Prometheus, the, the, um, the Titan that stole fire from the gods and, and gave it to humanity, but suffered a great cost for that gift. So there may be some, for those of you Aquarian types out there, you may have something where because of your vision, because of your ability to see the big picture, uh, it, it may not be a welcome uh, prophecy, right? There's a lot of times where we try to help people where, uh, you know, when we tell them something and they don't, that's not something they really don't want to hear because they're, you know, they're lost in their own daily, the minutiae of their daily lives. And that can be really painful for the, for the person delivering the message when we can see what's coming, but then people either don't listen to us or even at, at worst, ostracize us and cast us out into the, into the frontier because we aren't um, buying into the, the collective narrative of the, you know, the, of the masses. So one of the things that you can do to, to deal with this type of energy is realizing that unlike its opposite, Leo, there are things that you have to do in a Saturnian way that you may not get credit for, that you may not get applause for, and it's still important to do them anyway. So I, I think that when we release our attachment, when we become detached, like the sun and the sea, that's when we're, we can deal with Aquarius placements and Aquarius time um, and utilize it to the best of our ability. So uh, just a few, more, a few more little details about Aquarius too. So we're dealing with Tiferet, okay, the, the, the heart, in the world of Yetzira. And there are four different elemental worlds in the Kabbal in Hermetic Kabbalistic Tarot. 
Okay, so this is this is the Yetzirah is the, the realm of the air science, more of the, the intellect, okay? So we're dealing with the heart of our intellect and trying to find balance in our ideas and our ideals as well. Because uh, the, one of the last you know myths that I will explore, and, and again, I'll go into these in depth in future webinars, but there is a story of Ganymede, who was the, the cupbearer to the gods, who was, was lifted by Zeus. He was a, a youth, a very beautiful youth that was lifted by Zeus as in the form of an eagle up into Olympus and separated from his community uh, and became the cupbearer to the gods. So there is this theme of like being exiled and being chosen because of a skill or because of something that you possess, but then feeling that sense of separation as well. So we have to find our balance between staying connected to our heart and to our mind. Uh, this Deccan is called Earned Success and, and Science in both Book T and the Book of Toth. Um, there is a daimon associated with Aquarius too called Phobos. And Phobos is, roughly translates to fear, but specifically the fear of panic. And, and in, uh, in various sources, they talk about this is the panic that causes people in a battle to retreat, to run. So we have to be careful during this period of time that we don't get so afraid by some of the larger term things or the larger scale things that are outside of our control, that we don't um, run in panic or in fear, that we don't uh, retreat in a way that is uh, undisciplined. So we, there may be a, a situation in our life where we may have to fall back and retreat, but we have to kind of see how we can do that in the most rational and disciplined way possible. Okay, so that's sort of the, the breakdown with Aquarius 2. Aquarius 2 is a bridge builder because it's a, it's a very heavy mercurial uh, decan. We're building bridges between people, between the people in exile, between the people in power, between the, uh, beggars and kings, sometimes they would say, between heaven and earth, between the idealized and the practical. So this is about liminal spaces and moving between the known and the unknown. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to share my screen and we're going to go through some of the, the details here from February the 1st to February the 8th while the sun is still in the second decan of Aquarius. So you can see right at the beginning of the month we have a new moon. So very early in the hours of February the 1st we have a new moon at 12 degrees of Aquarius co-present with its host Saturn. So this, this Deccan that we talked about with Aquarius 2, heaven and earth, exchanges, liminal spaces, are going to be some of the very important themes we're going to be dealing with at this new moon. Now, the challenge that we have is that this new moon is in a fairly, oops, in a fairly tight square, albeit separating, from Uranus in Taurus. So you remember I was talking about Prometheus earlier. Now Richard Tarnas likes to think of, of Uranus as the Promethean principle as well. So there may be something where Uranus is throwing us for a loop at this new moon in Aquarius. And Gary Caton and I are going to break this down in depth on January the 27th. So please join me for that next week. I believe it's next Wednesday. Um, but just some, some themes that we may be dealing with here. Mercury has just emerged okay, from under the beams. 
you can see that we have a separation of roughly 15 degrees between Mercury and the Sun. So it's going to be turning direct uh, very shortly after this period of time at this new moon. So we may be having some kind of conversation with people in authority, with people in power, because Mercury is very close to Pluto right now in the third decan of Capricorn, which deals with some of the administrative systems in our life. So we may, we may be feeling like we are, have experienced this, this quote-unquote defeat of the five of uh, swords. And here now we're going to have to figure out what does that mean? What does it mean for us to be able to put the pieces back together? Um, eventually we will start putting these pieces back together temporarily in the third decan of Aquarius, which has a spirit or daimon associated with it named Osiris. And in the story of Osiris, you know, Osiris was split into many pieces by his brother Set and scattered all over the countryside. And eventually his wife Isis had to collect all of those pieces and uh, mate with that form of Osiris to beget the son Horus. But this was not a permanent uh, collection. Eventually Osiris uh, had to go back into the underworld and become the lord of the underworld. So there is something about this sign where we may be collecting information, we may be collecting data uh, to be able to move on. I think this is something that is uh, important with our Aquarius placements is we're really trying to, to figure out what is the new um, idealistic vision that we're going to start building from when we move into like you know, Pisces or something like that, where Jupiter takes over in power and starts to beget from that particular blueprint. So this, this new moon, square Uranus, there may be some kind of material disruption since Uranus is at 10 degrees of Taurus in the second decan of Taurus, which has to do with our physical routines. So there may be something that's disrupted, disrupting our, our routines, um, where we need to pass from one reality to another. Uh, we're getting closer to the point that uh, my good friend Michael Bryant and I talked about back, I believe, in November at the full moon eclipse in Taurus. And it I, looks like someone is mentioning this in the, uh, in the chat. Azur is talking about the midpoint between eclipses. That's correct. So he was mentioning, Michael Bryant, a very a really talented astrologer um, of the Oraculous podcast, uh, is talking about that we're going to see some of the, the challenges of that eclipse coming, coming to the fore at this square. So the square is where the, the sun is going to be squaring the nodes. And he was predicting around this period of time some financial challenges with the financial markets and potentially some difficulty with the stock market or with resources. So that's something to keep on your radar. And I think that the, the divination that I was doing with um, both the I Ching and the fly talks about you know, being conservative with your resources right now. Um, this isn't the time to do the big, huge project. We have to live within these limitations that Saturn is going to be providing. So that's something to, to consider. Is there, there may be something that we can't really predict right now that may start happening. I'm always surprised by Uranus transits about these kind of like shocks to the system. Even when I see it as an astrologer, um, the, the way that it, that it comes out in life is still like, oh, I, I, 
wow, that still surprised me. I had one thing like this in my own family where um, my my daughter, who is uh, going to be going to college next year, applied for a scholarship. And she got a rejection letter a few weeks ago. And as Uranus was turning direct in her 10th house, she got a call a week away from the interview for this scholarship about saying, oh, well, somebody dropped out. Do you still want to interview for this lucrative scholarship? And so it, it was, I didn't see that coming. You know, it was something that's like, wow, that's, that's a really poignant example of Uranus doing something, hopefully something good, but, but also something that, you know, we already thought that was resolved. Right, so there may be something like that coming up for you in your life in the Taurus area of your life when Uranus had shifted and it just recently shifted forward where you thought maybe something was resolved and then something out of the blue comes up and and tell me in the chat if this is something that you've experienced in the Taurus area of your chart as well. Okay, so that's kind of the the, the foundation, the beginning of the month with the new moon on the first. We're going to be seeing as we move forward. Okay, I'm going to clear my thing here, and we're going to move forward a few days, you can see that we have Mercury stationing direct on this February the 3rd. So this will be happening, let's see here, how many hours do we have? Click, 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 click. So at some point during this day, Mercury is going to be stationing direct. So this is an important moment of phasis, which basically means it's an omen that is speaking very loudly. So pay attention to the Capricorn area of your chart, okay, where you are there. We've got direct Mercury now. Okay, so you can see now uh, at 24 degrees of Capricorn, Mercury is direct. It's still going to pass over Pluto. We have a number of hits that Mercury has been making with Pluto. So communications with authority figures that are potentially exposing corruption in our systems and the way that we deal with uh, either responsibilities, the way that we deal with authority figures, the way that we deal with administrating the material, the practical material parts of our life. So, so that's a conversation that's going to be coming up again in these days ahead. Now you can see that as we've moved forward to uh, February the 4th, we have a number of things that that we're going to be seeing. This is really a, a highlighted point in the month. You can see here that this is the Kazemi moment of Saturn, where it is in a, almost an exact conjunction with the sun. Uh, some authors think of Kazemi as being within one degree of the sun. Other authors consider it within 17 minutes or portions of a degree. But you can see here, this is an, a pivotal day for a renewal of Saturn. So this is a, a renewal of some of the idealistic laws that we may see that govern the way that we act as a community. These, these saturn Kazemi synodic cycles are big picture things. Uh, last year when this was going on, we had the, at the heliacal setting of Saturn, we had the January 6th insurrection at the Capitol in the United States. At the Kazemi moment, uh, we had the, the new administration taking over around the, I believe it was around the 20th or so of January. And then when we had the, the heliacal rising of Saturn, that's when there were new charges filed against former President Donald Trump uh, for his role. Uh, I believe there was another impeachment thing that was started to become filed. But you could see that, that between those four weeks or however long it was, we had 
the breakdown of order. We had a new order being established, and then we had, saw the result of that new order taking, taking power. So this is something that to really watch with planets like Saturn going through this synodic cycle. And, and, you know, as above, so below, as within, so without, you know, you're going to see this in society, but you're also going to feel this in your personal life as well. So wherever Saturn is making its Kazemi moment, whatever house, and in this case, we have a Scorpio, a, an arbitrary Scorpio rising chart. This may be a new start in the fourth house of family, roots, home, domesticity. Maybe it's a new set of structures and orders within the home. Um, I have a, I believe, I have a Scorpio, um, I have a Scorpio rising friend who is thinking a lot about where they want to live. So maybe there is some great ideas, a great download around this period of time about where you want to set down your roots. So that's what we're dealing with on the fourth with Saturn Kazemi, um, the rebirth of structures and laws, but also maybe, you know, the, the awareness, the sun brings us awareness and shines light of some of the new limitations and structures that we have to work within. That's really what laws are. They're structures and limitations. And, and they're necessary. Without some of the laws that we have, we would just have chaos. So Saturn plays a specific role. And a lot of Saturn's goal, I think, is, is balance. Because Saturn's exaltation is in Libra, Saturn reduces that which is excessive and increases that which is lacking. So really, we're trying to come to an equilibrium point by creating these structures to contain our our passion, to contain our, our I don't know, um, limitlessness on some level. It's a dance, really, between Saturn and Jupiter on that level. Okay, another thing that we're going to be seeing on this day is a sextile between Mars and Jupiter. Okay, so... If we get rid of this Kazemi for a second and focus on those two planets. So while we're going through this rebirth of Saturnian blueprints and idealized forms, we're going to be seeing Mars in its exaltation in Capricorn at eight degrees, roughly eight, seven or eight degrees of, of Capricorn, uh, making a harmonious sextile with Jupiter and Pisces. So both of these planets are really dignified right now. They're they're both strong. They have access to, to resources. Um, this may be where the strategic thinking of Mars in Capricorn, where it really is able to, to utilize the resources of Saturn in Capricorn there. Um, it's able to take action and build and, and do something physical with that energy, which is more productive than just like, you know, getting in fights with people, right? Uh, in the Orphic Hymn to Mars, they talk about turning the weapons of battle into, into plowshares to be able to work the fields of our life. So there may be some things related to that where the strategic actions that we are taking are meeting with a, a fertile mind, right? This, this first decade of Jupiter and Pisces here is really about going off in search of meaning, of leaving a, a previous material success behind and being able to uh, I don't know, work like Neo within the matrix and say, oh, well, I, I now realize that I am a co-creator with the divine. And that is a, is a liberating thought because the, the previous narratives, the previous mythologies 
that may have been guiding my life, I know that I have some hand in helping to to work within those and to create from that from that narrative, which can make a shift in the narrative. So this may be a time where you're utilizing your your strategic thinking to start shifting your mythological narrative with the sextile between Mars and Jupiter, um, especially in regards to place. The first second of Capricorn has some s- significations with trying to find the right location to build your physical um, structures within. So think about where would be the best place to start expanding around this period of time. As we move forward to the last set of aspects that we see during Aquarius 2, the second decan of Aquarius, we're going to be moving forward to February the 8th. So on February the 8th, we have a trine between Mars and Uranus. So here is a trine of Mars and Uranus at 11 degrees of Capricorn and Taurus in the midst of a first quarter moon square. So these are the the two aspects that are basically uh, happening simultaneously on February the 8th. Okay. So what we're looking at here, I'll include the sun in this. Here is a trine with Mars and Uranus. And of course, we have the square between the sun and the moon. So first quarter moons are usually a crisis point. Uh, There's a great book by Dane Rudyard, uh, talks about the lunation cycle. And this is sort of the energy of the the, the, the superhero that needs to, to do an, a heroic act to be able to bring something into form. So we always have this relationship with the sun and the moon uh, of being able to bring the light of the sun into material form as represented by the moon. So there's some challenge we have to work out during that cycle. It's not always easy. We have to, because uh, we have the limitlessness of the divine trying to work within the limitations of matter, uh, there's always compromises that may need to be made around that. So here we have the second decan, the last uh, degrees of the second decan of Aquarius, where we're trying to move forward and move between spaces where we may not feel like we belong to either space at this point. And we have the moon moving through the second decan of Taurus in its exaltation, um, in a place that it also has rulership by faith, so a very strong place for the moon. So we may be trying to work through some challenges of bringing something into being from the ideas that we get from from uh, journeying to the to the frontiers of our mind of thinking about things outside the box. So I think the tension that we may have here is between doing things the way that we've always done them and trying to do something in a new, innovative way. And that can be painful sometimes because we're creatures of habit most of the time. Now, the trine between Mars and Uranus should help us to be able to figure out new practical ways to be able to build within these new requirements that we have. So Mars has, has since ingressed during this day, excuse me, into the second decan of Capricorn which is more associated with the actual building process where we need cooperation from multiple uh, facets of our life. In this card, the Three of Pentacles, we see the artist, 
we see the clergy, and we see someone from the state. So we're trying to balance out the budget, uh, the meaning that we're creating, and the beauty of it. And, and, and Mars is going to be trying to, to take all those things into consideration and trying to work with these resources that Uranus is providing in Taurus, um, but they may be unorthodox, they may be Promethean, they may be something that uh, we're not used to. So again, this is one of those crisis points where it's very important to really think um, with your fly eyes, with those 4,000 little viewpoints to be able to see if you can do something in a new way. Because a lot of the times, the suffering that we experience as human beings comes from trying to, to paddle upstream. And I think that this also brings in the themes of this Six of Swords card is, can we work with the currents of, of our life rather than trying to fight against them? Because we can exhaust ourselves trying to, to paddle against the current. Um, and that's one of the, I think, one of the main things about um, Taoism and the philosophy of Taoism is coming into alignment with those natural cycles and, and flowing with life rather than fighting against it. So that's really the, 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 the last aspect that we're seeing here in the second decan of Aquarius. So what I'm going to do now is I'm going to stop my share for a second. And if anybody has any questions, uh, this is a good time to ask them. Remember, I'm on a 20 second delay here, but I'm going to start showing you some of the themes with the third decan of Aquarius on my notes that I have here. These are my crazy notes, my <laughs> very uh, Virgo stellium notes that I have. I have a Jupiter, Mars, and uh, Saturn all in Virgo. Um, a lot of people mistake me for a Virgo sun. I'm actually a Cancer sun with a Taurus moon. But what we're looking at here, I hope you're doing all right out there, everyone. Um, what we're looking at with the third decan of Aquarius is the Seven of Swords. And here we see a figure that is looking over his shoulder, uh, carrying five of the Seven Swords with him and kind of sneaking away from an encampment. And this card, it's called The Knot by Austin Kopic. It is associated with a sephira called Netzach, uh, N-E-T-Z-A-C-H. And here we're dealing with Netzach and Yetzira. Uh, and these are, this is a, a, a sephira that has to do with endurance, um, with mastery. Some of the, the words, the themes, are, it, it's very difficult to put tangible words to a divine ideal. And some of these words, are, they're, they're multifaceted, right? Um, but I see this as, as the endurance needed to be able to uh, stand our ground. And this is related on the tree of life. You, on the tree of life, you've got three pillars, uh, right, left, and center. The last one we just dealt with was Tiferet, which was in the center. Here we have the right side of idealism, right? And we're working, we're going to be working with uh, form, on the other side, the pillar of form versus, I believe, oh, what is the other pillar called? It's basically the ideal realm. I'll, I'll, I'll remember it in a second. Um, but when we're dealing with Netzach in Yetzirah of air, uh, many of the authors that I've been reading talk about maybe having difficulty enduring, uh, having difficulty standing our ground. You could see the, the third decan of Leo 
has a figure that is standing on top of a hill and defending his turf. And this, these are some of the themes we're going to see in the full moon that we see during this period of time. This period of time is going to be between the 8th of February and the 18th. So we're dealing with 20 degrees Aquarius to the end of the sign, okay, until we get to Pisces, the beginning of Pisces. So book T, because of maybe this challenge of, of not being able to stand our ground, calls this, this card in this deck an unstable effort. Uh, the, the book of Toth calls it the Lord of Futility. So we have this energy that is a little bit in flux. And remember I talked about earlier that we have the daimon associated with this from 36 heirs of the zodiac. Uh, it's called uh, is Osiris. Remember Osiris, just to give you a little bit more on that myth, and, and again, I'll go into this in depth in my Deccan's webinar, but I'll give you guys a preview here. So Osiris was, was the husband of Isis uh, in Egyptian mythology, and uh, the brother of Isis became jealous. His name was Set. And he, he murdered Osiris and locked his body in this like coffin and buried it underground in a tree, a great tree grew up around it. And eventually Os Isis went in, in, on this great journey to find Osiris and she did find him, but eventually Set took the body and cut it up into different pieces and spread it all over the place. So this could be another thing about spreading our attention in a lot of different directions. Uh, T. Susan Chang, in her book, 36 Secrets, talks a lot about this myth of Osiris and this deck and having to do with potentially attention challenges as well. Um, so, so maybe there's things where we're splitting our mental energy in a lot of different directions like Osiris. Now, one of the things that we need to be able to do is to bring all of those pieces together. Again, for the specific purpose of leaving behind the past. Austin Kappa calls this deck in the knot, and he talks a lot about untying old karmic ties and resolving frustrations. So one of the things you can think of with this is you, you may be faced with a situation where you get so frustrated, and you're just like, I just can't take this anymore. I'm just disgusted by this. Like maybe it's, this is where the, the symbol of the fly comes in again, where, where the flies, they, they really like are attracted to to some shitty things, right? <laughs> literally. So uh, this is something where um, we're dealing with a, a frustrating thing in our life that we really need to move on from. And we finally have to get maybe the courage to, to leave. Okay, I've, I've had clients in the past with planets in this decan where they had really difficult relationships, whether it was with siblings or with family or something of that nature. And there was a lot of like abuse going on between them and these relationships. And there was, the, 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 there was a lot of courage needed to finally say enough is enough. It's time for us to go and to separate. Another thing that I wanted to bring in with this is that we see uh, an example. The, the Olympics last year, the Summer Olympics, we had a full moon that is connected with this full moon that we had, that we have coming up. Uh, in the, what do we have this, on the 16th of February, where we had a, a, a United States Olympian, uh, a gymnast named Simone Biles, who was having some difficulty with her mental processing when she was doing some of these very, uh, very difficult aerial air, right? <laughs> these aerial moves. 
they were, and she was experiencing something called the twisties where she, she was getting, she was feeling very stressed with the pressure and that was making it very difficult for her to perform. And instead of competing and standing her ground, she withdrew and left behind, okay, from the competition. She withdrew from the competition. She took some heat in the beginning, but also she was, this is Jupiter was in this decan at this time. So she also was honored for that decision as well, for taking care of her mental health. So there may be a situation where you have to withdraw to be able to maintain your own mental stability and your own mental health. You may have to uh, take stock of where you've been temporarily to be able to move forward into the next phase of your life as well. This decan, I always think of uh, Frodo at the end of Lord of the Rings, where he's gone through this really um, challenging trial of bringing the ring uh, to, to the volcano. And he's just changed. He can't go back to the Shire. There's just no, there's nothing for him there. His consciousness has changed in such a way that it would just, he would be suffering in that regard. So he retires to the West, to this new land. And I'm, I'm just picturing him going off into these ships and finally leaving the known world behind completely because his consciousness has shifted. So there may be some situation in our lives, especially in the Aquarius place of our life, where we just need to, to take stock of where we've been and finally move forward into the unknown and take the leap. We may have to retreat. We may, because of the, the, the realization of a frustration that just isn't working, we may have to, to start uh, leaving something behind entirely. Okay. Detachment is, is really the, the, the word that I, I th can think of with this. Um, that, that's, that's why we talk about the objectivity of Aquarius. Aquarius is a difficult sign. Uh, I think modern astrology does sometimes does it a disservice by thinking about it as this, it's just this innovative, you know, new scientific type of sign, which that is also true. It can be true. I mean, Aquarius can also be very conservative. I mean, you know, Ronald Reagan was an Aquarius. And think about the, the new systems that he put in place, Reaganomics, which was a very conservative system, but changed the fabric of the 80s completely as far as how we dealt with the distribution of wealth. You've also got some other people in Congress. Uh, we've got Paul Ryan is an Aquarius. Uh, Dick Cheney, okay, the, the, the person who was pretty much in power when George Bush Jr. was, was um, president. All these are Aquarians. So don't mistake progressive for Aquarius. Sometimes Aquarius can still be, be having some of these conservative Saturnian values. But the key is that seeing the big picture and sometimes trying to control the intellectual narrative. All right. So in this time of solar awareness of our karmic entanglements that we're trying to detach from, we're going to have a number of different aspects. So let's go back to our chart. And I'm taking a look at the, the chat here. Oh, we've got some nice comments from my friend Dimphy in the Netherlands. Hello, Dimphy. Uh, Loving the, the examples and comparison. Thank you very much. I, I, I love uh, bringing in some of these stories from, from the collective. These are our mythologies. You know, things like Frodo and the Ring are our modern mythological themes. And when we can connect these things with those modern tellings and with these ancient sources, that can really bring a lot of meaning into our life. Um, we've, Laura says, Novak, the tennis player who was deported from Australia, different reasons for withdrawal. Absolutely. So he, he experienced a, de a defeat 
right? He, he had a set of belief systems that weren't in alignment with the, uh, the system in place. I believe it was in Aus- Australia. Yeah, in Australia. Uh, it had to do with, you know, vaccination and things like that. And he had to withdraw from a competition because of his beliefs. So, so that you can see sometimes we, we have to withdraw because of a, uh, something where we experienced a humbling or something of that nature as well. It's not always a fun reason for withdrawal. Uh, oftentimes it's very difficult. We're running up against a limitation. And sometimes it's a mental limitation, not even a physical limita- limitation. Um, Bonnie says, also, all the media deregulation that Reagan did, very, very much an example of your point. Exactly. So like, like kind of like changing the structure of society completely is a very Saturn and Aquarius type of thing as well, where we're dispersing the solid things that supported us in this, you know, kind of uh, decentralized type of fashion. Okay. And thank you, Prudence, for your compliment. Prudence is enjoying our talk here today. I'm enjoying all of you as well. If you're enjoying this show today, uh, make sure you hit that like button. If you're not subscribed to the channel, subscribe. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for spending time with me today. So I'm going to share the screen again, and we're going to talk about Aquarius 3 and some of these, some of these uh, aspects. Okay, so we're looking at the time period between February 8th and February the 18th. Now, the first thing that we notice is we are dealing with the, uh, the last, I'm sorry, the first quarter moon phase. And we have a waxing moon in this period of time. We just had the, the square that I was showing you. And you can see the moon continues to wax. And as we get to February the 11th, here's our first uh, exact aspect. We have the conjunction of Mercury and Pluto at 27 degrees of Capricorn. So this is the third of three conjunctions that we've had within the last two months. The first one we had was uh, originally when Mercury was direct at 25 degrees of Capricorn on the 30th of December. We had the retrograde conjunction of Mercury with Pluto at 26 degrees of Capricorn on the 28th of January, which as I'm recording this will still uh, is still coming. And then this is the, the direct version the second direct version at 27 cap. So we've been dealing with these themes for quite a few months. We've been negotiating Hermes, Mercury, with the power structures, Pluto in Capricorn 3. So this may be the time where we're finally, you know, negotiating the right type of deal with authority figures, where we're finding out how to organize the system correctly after many painful conversations I don't know about all of you, but in our in our household, we've been having a lot of reorganization with our uh, how we relate to one with one another, especially with the systems of the household. There's been a lot of discussions about how to organize our time and our resources, and some of them have been challenging. Um, I I have a, a daughter that recently became an adult, so there's a lot of renegotiations that happen when you have a a a kid that becomes an adult and all the things that change in your relationship between parent and child. So, you know, I think the key with uh, Mercury and Pluto in this decade is honest and clear communication, uh, keeping your wits about you, not trying to manipulate the other, uh, not trying to hold power over the other, but, but relating as equals. Um, 
this can lead to uh, this this aspect can lead to a little bit of a mental fixation as well uh, an intensity of communication and thinking uh, and, and we may be finally just starting to resolve some of the tension that we experienced in the previous conjunctions of mercury and pluto so put on your your get along hats have a material discussion like one of the things that just comes to mind is like teaching a young person how to deal with a budget right like this is something like when you turn 18 maybe you have more access to some resources that you wouldn't have when you were a minor and how do you how do you learn how to deal with those things properly how do you manage that material resource that you have how do you uh, learn the skills of delayed gratification of um, only spending within your means or things like that those are all discussions like that like I've been thinking about and relating with my my daughter but you may be having things similar uh, in in regards to your life as well so that's the first thing that we see in the in the uh, sun in Aquarius 3 as we move forward to the 12th on the 12th there's a really interesting phenomenon that that happens and I'll actually I'll just I'll, I'll talk about these two things together on the 12th and the 13th okay so recognize these things are happening fairly simultaneously what we're seeing is Jupiter moving under the beams of the sun. So I'm going to see if I can draw that circle here for you. So the arc of distance between Jupiter and the sun is about 15 degrees around the 12th and 13th of February. We also see uh, Jupiter shifting into the second decan of Pisces, which brings with it slightly different themes. In the first decan of Pisces, we had a figure that was leaving the material world behind uh, because of a sense of dissatisfaction that that was a Saturn ruled Deccan in search of maybe a higher purpose or meaning. So the, the first few degrees of Jupiter and Pisces, you know, we maybe, you know, we, we experienced this loss throughout the Jupiter and Aquarius things. And now we're uh, surrendering to our emotions. This is uh, associated with the Sephira Hode which is talking about uh, surrendering to spirituality. So we've gone through a surrendering where we just couldn't keep something together again, like Osiris. And now we're moving into the second decan, which is really one of the more positive decans of the entire system. We have the nine of cups, which a lot of people talk about this as the make a wish card or the make a wish decan, where we see a figure that is sitting almost kind of smugly in front of nine cups, uh, we also can think about this Deccan as being one related to overestimating our abilities, so you have to be careful with that. Um, but this is associated with Yesod, which is a, a uh, the moon Sephira, but this is a Deccan associated with Jupiter in particular. Okay, So what we're trying to do when we're talking about these different planets related with the Deccans is we have planets related to the Kabbalistic Tree of Life and the different energy centers, and we also have planets that are related to the Deccan systems themselves. So we're dealing with a Jupiter-ruled Deccan in a Jupiter-ruled sign in a Sephira related to the moon or a birth channel. So this may be where something is starting to birth. We, we finally have found an ideal that is worth sacrificing for, that is worth uh, creating. This is like neo waking up in the matrix and like oh wow 
I know Kung Fu, you know, <laughs> like where he starts to, he starts to like really uh, understand that he is in this uh, virtual reality and that he can start to manipulate it slightly. Now, the only challenge with this is that since Jupiter is going underneath the beams of the sun, which is called the heliacal evening set. The reason we say that is because this is the last couple days that you'll be able to see Jupiter in the evening. Like if we shifted this chart all the way over to the western horizon, you'd see Jupiter right around here. And, and it would be visible at night. But now it's not visible at night. It's going into the underworld to be renewed. And in medieval or Renaissance astrology, they were thinking of this as a, as a, as a person taking to their sickbed. So this is the end of a Jupiter cycle. So what I want you to do at the heliacal setting of Jupiter is I want you to think about both the uh, both the Pisces and the Sagittarius areas of your chart. Okay, so these are the two areas of the of our chart that will be affected by this. And I want you to think about what is ending and how can you utilize your emotional strength to figure out how to create anew when Jupiter makes its conjunction with the sun on the 5th of March. So this is going to be a place, a time when things could be slightly destabilized in those two areas of your life, but it's for a greater purpose. It's because Jupiter is going and getting a new download from the sun and a very powerful download this time because Jupiter is going to be in Pisces. It's, it's going to have an amazing ability to manifest a dream, you know? So think about your dreams, pay attention to your dreams, your literal dreams when you're sleeping, pay attention to your mythological dreams when you're thinking about how to find meaning within your life, because this is a great time to rewrite the, the narrative that you are working within to rewrite the stories that are inspiring your life right now. We all have both positive and negative stories that guide our decisions. And this is a very powerful time to rewrite many of those narratives, to release the old story and to start to write a new one. Okay. My cautious Cancerian Taurus moon warning is be realistic about what you can achieve at this period of time. The I Ching specifically said for this month that you need to stay humble and it's, more, it's better to take care of the details than to think of something huge right now. I will say that you do a lot of small things, they can turn into a great accomplishment, but you have to show up every day. You have to be consistent. Think of the fly. It's a very small creature, but it lays, uh, you know, an eggs in one place and it, they multiply very quickly so through some small act it can turn into this huge infestation okay so think <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if i want you to think of your dreams as an infestation but maybe you could think about like planting some seeds you know <laughs> planting your your baby larvae in a giant fertile pile of shit <laughs> and then creating some beautiful stinky dream from that. I know it's not the most beautiful imagery, but I hope that you'll get the idea, right? And, and I think that 
one of the keys with Aquarius season is finding value in things that other people would discard. So maybe you can turn repurpose something into something new. Maybe you can take something that someone else has discarded and breathe new life into it. Okay. Uh, every creature in creation has a role and a purpose. And one of the flies roles is to break down old matter. I mean, they, they are laying their eggs in old decaying forms so that they can, you know, basically return that fertility to the earth so it can be repurposed to something else. So even though they're annoying and we may find them disgusting because as living creatures, we, we sometimes have a fear of death and we have a fear of decay and disease and things like that. But everything has a purpose within the unified field of, of life. Okay. So that's what we're dealing with, with the, the, the heliacal setting of Jupiter preparing for the renewal on the 5th of March. Um, it's the beginning of the lying hidden phase. Is That's what we call a planet when it is underneath the beams and the end of a Jupiter cycle. But again, we've got a really interesting new moon coming on, on March the 2nd uh, that's going to anticipate that that Kazemi moment. I mean, there, there's some really good stuff coming at that new moon. There's some challenging things with some squares to Uranus next month, but we'll we'll save that until we get to it. But recognize that the seeds that you're planting, be, be willing to dream big right now, but recognize that there's still social limitations that you're working within. So this is a great time to journal, to plan, to just think about what if you didn't have all these restrictions? What if things started getting quote unquote back to normal or we figured out what the new reality was? You don't necessarily have to act on it right now. This is one of the things I love about studying the I Ching and Taoism in particular is a lot of the times you, you have limitations in your life. You have boundaries. You have these things where we have to do what is important for the greater good, give some things up, but you can prepare for your return. That's what, when you live cyclically, you can prepare for the new start. And, and winter is a great time to do that. It's a time of scarcity. It's not necessarily a time to go take a, a cross-country journey because it's cold if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. There's not a lot of food growing places. You might go hungry, you might starve, you might freeze to death. But it is a time to, to, to marshal your energy and your resources to be frugal, but also to think about and reflect on where you want to go next. It's a great time for reflection. Okay, if we move forward to the 14th, February the 14th, happy Valentine's Day, everyone who celebrates this weird Hallmark holiday. I, I, I have, I'm not a fan of Valentine's Day. It's just so weird, the, the time of year that it, it happens in, in this place that's so detached. And <laughs> like, it would be perfect if they did Valentine's Day um, in a Pisces season, like when Venus is like, you know, in her exaltation or something of that nature. That would make a lot more sense to me. Uh, but anyway, if you celebrate this, you know, fine. <laughs> if you don't, don't worry about it. Uh, but what we do see on this Valentine's Day is, uh, Mercury shifting signs. So here we're seeing Mercury ingressing or moving into the sign of Aquarius. Okay. 
So here is uh, the exact ingress of Mercury into Aquarius at 4.53 p.m. Um, so, so, so a shift in the way that we think, in the way that we communicate, um, something where Mercury is now drawing upon a different set of resources in the sign of Aquarius, maybe more idealistic rather than, than practical. We went through some of the practical conversations in, in Mercury's uh, multiple conjunctions with Pluto and movement back into Capricorn. And now we may be able to move forward with something that is expanding possibilities uh, that is working more with the idealized forms rather than the physical ones. Um, don't be surprised, though, if, you know, there is a, some difficult conversations in the beginning of this. Remember, we're dealing with the first decade of Aquarius where we may, you know, have an intentional exile, where we may want to leave the herd behind, where we might want to leave the establishment. Um, so if you have th thoughts around that, it's okay. Um, Mercury will be co-present with its host, Saturn. So drawing upon strong resources and co-present with the sun. So there is resources for Mercury to draw upon. Um, this is something where you need to uh, go in between worlds, right? Mercury likes to do that anyway. Hermes was said to be a psychopomp where he was guide of souls to the dead. He also delivered messages to the gods on Mount Olympus. So this is an important time to think about the, your idealized forms in your life and how you can eventually bring them back down to earth. Okay, here we're leading up to a few days in the middle of the month that are very important. Uh, so what we have here on the 15th and the 16th is we have the sun exactly at the square between the lunar nodes. So here's the nodes in Taurus and Scorpio, and here's the sun squaring them. Now, this is a phenomenon called being at the bending of the nodes. So what does that mean? Well, we have the sun moving from the south node in Scorpio and moving towards the north node in Taurus. So this is something where we may have to leave behind the experiences of the south node and move towards an increase in the north node of the moon in Taurus. Now, again, I will, I will tell you, and I'm going to actually just move on to the 16th, the full moon, because that's, that's going to be, we'll, we'll incorporate all of these themes into this. So that we're talking about the time of the 15th and the 16th here uh, of February and ending this, this, uh, this decan that we have here. So let me redraw some of these for you. So here we see on the 16th, the opposition between the sun and the moon at 27 degrees of Aquarius. We have the sun and the moon really at the bends here, okay? So we have the sun moving towards the north node and the moon moving towards the south node, uh, which is sort of interesting. And this is a, a decision point. This is a point where we have to make a choice. And it, it, this is also a point in time that uh, was referenced by my good friend, Michael A. Bryant of the Oraculous School uh, of Astrology or of Divination. And he talked a lot about financial markets and the disruptions that we might see with some of our resources. 
Now, one of the things that I think about with the, the nodes is the nodes are going to shake up the areas of life that they are moving through. And the north node right now is now co-present with, with uh, Uranus and Taurus. Um, it's in a decan of Taurus that is related to natural disasters, unfortunately, um, with things that threaten the crops in the field, with accidents that just aren't really our fault that we just have to have patience through. So there may be things like supply chain issues around this period of time. There may be marketplaces that kind of go a little wacky around this period of time. And it may require us to leave something into the, in the past and move towards a new reality. And just this disruptions is something I'm thinking about. I, maybe this is something with the power grid or something with natural disasters. I know around this period of time last year, we were having cold snaps that were affecting, I believe, places like Texas and things like that, that where we didn't have the right infrastructure in place to be able to deal with those types of things. And it caused a lot of, of suffering. Um, so this is a turning point. This is something where uh, you, you may need to uh, move forward with your life. You may have to be like Osiris, come together for a temporary period of time, but then eventually be like Frodo and retire into the West. Okay. Now this full moon also may be challenging us to figure out, is it time to stand our ground or is it time to leave? That's the main, really the main themes that we're looking at here. Are we escaping or are we staying and defending our turf? And again, in the Olympics, Simone Biles at that full moon, I believe there was a full moon there as well. She chose in, in the midst of everybody competing in the Olympics, right? She was the one that retreated and she was one of the major headline figures of that time period. So here we may see the opposite happening. If I'm just thinking mythologically, we may have a time period where everybody is jumping ship and leaving or something like that. And we may have a situation where we have either a figure in, in the collective that is standing firm, even though everyone is, is panicking and withdrawing. Okay, so there may be things of that nature as well, kind of the opposite happening. Um, but you're going to have to figure that out in your own life where this is happening. But, but check the Aquarius and the, the Leo area of your life to think about important decisions that may, you may have to decide, should I stay or should I go now? That's, that reminds me of that. Uh, what is that? Is that the Clash song? Should I stay or should I go now? If I stay, there will be trouble. If I go, there will be double, right? But I really want to know, should I stay or should I go? Okay, so your little musical interlude for the day. Simultaneously, while this square, this kind of T-squaring energy between the nodes is happening, we have another aspect that is forming. And this is between Mars and Venus. So a conjunction of Mars and Venus, one of the first of two. Okay, so you can see here at 16 degrees of Capricorn, Ares and Aphrodite are coming together. Maybe they're having an illicit love affair. Uh, this is something where we saw Mars, Ares, was a paramour or a, uh, you know, 
an illicit lover of Aphrodite who was married to Hephaestus. And the story goes is that, you know, they were sneaking around and Hephaestus caught wind of this and made this very fancy uh, net made of gold that was invisible that and caught them in the act of coitus, right? Caught him in the lovemaking act and and they experienced quite a, a humility um, being, you know, Hephaestus was like, look at my wife, she here, see her in the throes of lovemaking, cheating on me, you know, it was very, it was very like if someone had gone on social media and was like, oh my God, my ex did this and here's the receipts, you know, like, um, so, you know, this may be a period of time where those themes could come to the fore. I think also the way that I could think about this as well is action, Mars, coming together with resources, Venus, or the, the yang principle coming together with the yin principle. So we may be able to draw upon some really, uh, some interesting, um, I don't know, some interesting unions, I guess. So this is maybe where a point where the rubber meets the road, right? We've got a full moon where things are coming to fruition. We've got a choice that we have to make with the sun being at the north bending, um, a point where the actions we take could lead to a sense of increase. And this is in the third, or the second decade of Capricorn, this, this coming together of Venus and Mars, where we may have to cooperate with others in building some kind of ornate structure. Again, the challenge with that decan, and I talked about this at length in my Capricorn decans webinar last week, which is available, by the way, in the store uh, of my website, spencermshow.com, if you missed it. Shameless plug over. Uh, it is important to not think that you are building something that is spiritual only via material means. The hubris of, of doing a very ambitious project can lead to an extreme humbling in that decan. So I want you to be aware that some of the themes of that decan are projects that can't possibly be fulfilled. And you may be experiencing this with Jupiter, you know, in this decan of like overestimating your abilities. And it, it's in a, you know, in a, in a whole sign sextile with these two planets. It, again, the I Ching was very clear. There was no changing lines in hexagram 62 that said, the, the bird who flies high loses its song. Stay low right now. Take care of your daily responsibilities. Yes, you will be able to move forward eventually, but this is not the time to like, you know, take your life savings and, you know, invest in a pyramid scheme. Literally is the pyramid is the, is the, <laughs> the name of this decade in Austin Coppock's book, right? So just be, be uh, cautious because you may feel like you want to move at this point. Like you may want like, oh, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to build. I'm ready to utilize my ambitious energy. Again, I think that the, the best thing that you can do right now is prepare, okay? I know that, that delayed gratification is a difficult thing in modern society because we almost get made to feel guilty by the um, advertising industry that we're not acting, that we're not living our dreams. And social media can really add to this as well of making us feel uh, inferior because other people are showing only a very small fraction of their reality, only the best part of it many times. And you don't see all the things that went into that unfolding. You don't see all the, the drawbacks maybe even to their unfolding as well. So, you know, this is something that I've talked a lot about as a family is some of the challenges of 
growing up in this age where we have different lenses that we look through and that we only see things from one perspective. And again, the eyes of the fly are important because we don't always see the entire picture right now. And I don't think that we're seeing the entire picture as a community right now either. Okay. So Scarlett is saying, make a plan of action. This is, yes, this is a great time to make a plan, but you don't necessarily have to make the, the, the moves yet. Okay. We've got someone joining us from T Texas, Token54321 says, yeah, we've been getting tornado warnings. My mom and I were talking about it yesterday. Yeah, I mean, you know, Texas is a, is a, uh, a volatile place weather-wise right now. And with some of their challenges with their power grid not being connected with the rest of the power grid in, in America, that can lead to extra, extra problems. So I, I wish you luck there, Token, with... Um, some of the potential weather challenges that may come up in various parts of the country. So I guess what I will say is if, if you're listening to this now in advance, I think one thing that you can do to prepare is have a good emergency plan in place. If you live in these places that may be more susceptible to extreme weather patterns, have your flashlights ready, have your emergency food, um, have a discussion with your family about what you would do if you lost power for a few days. I, I remember at the end of the year last year, we lost power for just a little over 24 hours. And it, it really showed us that um, our, our emergency plan wasn't very good. You know, none of the flashlights had batteries. You know, we couldn't cook anything. Uh, we didn't have a good plan. And I think that this isn't, I'm not trying to fear monger here, I think, but I think it's important to, to be prepared for the challenges that we are going to be experiencing as, as a community due to some of the weather challenges, right? I think that we do have to acknowledge that we're seeing some major, major shifts in our climate and climate change, and that that's going to require us to be flexible as human beings moving forward. doesn't mean that we won't ever have to, you know, that we won't ever enjoy our lives again, or it's everything's going to be a disaster. It just means that we will have to deal with some, some, some challenging situations sometimes. And Fortune favors the prepared. Okay. Uh, Token says, definitely getting, <laughs> getting the F out when the time is right. Yeah. Well, I wish you luck, my friend. And I, I hope that um, that you're able to stay safe and that you're, uh, you have a good plan. And, um, you know, good luck with all that. Okay. So here, that's our Mars-Venus conjunction. Uh, the plan may be coming together on some level a little bit. It's also conjoining a fixed star called Vega, which is it has to do with artistic sensibility and charisma. This was in a, a, a constellation called uh, Lyre, the Lyre or Lyra, the, which was the, the instrument or the harp of Orpheus. So th there may be something where some utilizing your, your artistic ability is important around this period of time. So instead of doing some huge grandiose plan, maybe utilize this point point of time to to do an art project to to make something to craft something uh that that's a great way to 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 kind of utilize this energy in like maybe a smaller more humble way that can give you the confidence to keep building after that creativity is not a one-time act it's a practice and and i think if you you overcome the initial inertia you'd be amazed at, at all the things that that will open up and all the energy centers that will open up so that you can become more creative into the future and, and maybe on a, on a 
larger scale as you move forward, but start small. Okay, there is one more um, aspect around this Deccan, and that comes on the 17th. And it's a it's slightly minor compared to the ones we've been discussing, but we do have a sextile between Jupiter and Uranus. And this may lead to a spark of innovation, potentially. Uh, a new way of thinking about how to utilize those those resources. Since it's a sextile, sextiles were considered of the nature of Venus because of Venus's relationship to the lights in the Thema Mundi, the philosophical natal chart of the world. So th there may be some unexpected help that you receive at this period of time with uh, Uranus in the second decan of Taurus, which has to do with charity, with sharing resources with one another, with the six of pentacles you can see here. And maybe it's a wish fulfilled. You know, maybe there's something that you've been wishing for and you unexpectedly get a bonus or something of that nature that you get some kind of help. Um, I think that this could be a, an unexpected good thing that we see that we are receiving through, through potentially through some actions that you've taken in the past. All right. So that's what I've got for the uh, second decade, or sorry, the third decade of Aquarius. So I'm going to stop my share again here for a minute, and I'm going to talk to you about Pisces 1. Thank you so much for hanging out with me today. We're rolling along here. Um, again, if you're enjoying this, this show, this uh, channel, make sure you like that video uh, and subscribe if you're new. If you'd like to make a material donation to the work that I do, there's a little dollar sign in the chat that's called a super chat or a super sticker. It highlights your question if you have one or it's just a, a way of donation, donating and supporting the show. So thank you so much for that as well. All right, so let's talk about Pisces 1. So we're talking about the time period now between the 18th of February and the 28th of February. So Austin Kopic calls this decan the labyrinth, all right? So this is where we are finally, we've left something behind and we've submitted and surrendered to a higher calling, a higher purpose, some kind of emotional quality. The cups were generally associated with water, and this may be a more emotional type of dealing with our reality rather than an intellectual one that we experienced with Aquarius, the air sign. So I, the first decade of Pisces, we see the eight of cups. And in it, we see a figure that is leaving behind these eight stacked cups leaving behind something that he had built up, uh, potentially going off into the imagination, going off into the, the inner realms of his mind, of his imagination, off into the, to the waters or the ocean of consciousness, and exploring the more subtle aspects of life, the hidden undercurrents, the mythological value, right? One of the gifts of studying myth and of studying the things that we talk about here today on the channel is being able to see uh, the things that unify us, the, the invisible threads that unify us in our physical reality. And the, the thing about myth is it is figurative language. It is comparing one thing 
to another. So we have a, an actual story, like when Pisces, uh, here we have the story of a labyrinth, right? And maybe you can think about the labyrinth of the Minotaur, where we're having to go in and conquer a, a beast. And maybe that beast is our own uh, inner um, critic on some level. And we can apply that to our own psychological experience. And it's not physical. It's not, we're not literally going into a labyrinth. We're metaphorically going into it. And that's the, the realm that Pisces exists in. It's opposite Virgo is dealing with the physical reality, crafting something and bringing it into form. Here we're going internal. Here we're saying, what are the undercurrents? Where do we find meaning? What does this mean? How is this thing like this other thing, but maybe a, a, a what is the word I'm looking for? Almost like an illusion. That's one word, way you could think about it. Um, that's where we have to be careful that we don't mistake our metaphorical reality for physical reality. That's where we have to practice balance. Now, this first second of Pisces is the Sephira of Hode. And Hode is the balancing uh, Sephira of Netzak, which is endurance. So here we said, oh, well, we're not going to fight anymore. We're not going to endure. We're going to surrender. So the first decade of Pisces is all about the surrender to that inner calling, that siren song. Okay, I think about there's something off in the distance in the ocean. They're like, oh, there's some meaning I'm trying to find. There's something I'm trying to unpack, but I don't know quite what it is. So I'm going to go off and search. And one of the quotes that I like for this decade is not all who wander are lost. This is another thing that was pointed out by T. Susan Chang, was quickly becoming one of my favorite authors, both for tarot books and for the Deccans. Great, great uh, companion book to 36 Faces, if you're not, even if you're not able to get that book by Austin Kopic. Um, T. Susan Chang's book is a really great, great thing to start with. So, so think that this is, is the key. Jupiter is now the host of the sun. And Jupiter is different than Saturn. Jupiter is throwing us into separation and exile. Jupiter is trying to begin the process of reunification and return. That's one of the, the kind of the secret significations of Jupiter is that it's an order bringer. It's something that, that unifies. Remember, Pisces season in the Northern Hemisphere is the time where the ice starts to melt, where everything starts to fuse together in this like primordial soup of mud. And, and uh, the boundaries that we had constructed, either in Capricorn, the physical boundaries, or the idealistic boundaries that we had, the glass ceilings, the narrative boundaries start to dissolve. And we say, you know what? That's not working for me anymore. How do we uh, transcend those things? So surrender to your, to your emotions, to that siren call. Book T calls this abandoned success. Toth calls it indolence. So you have to be careful that you're not getting you know, too lazy around this period of time as you go off in your inner journey. It's important to keep balance Here's another facet of the fly symbol is it's important to take care of your body uh, when you're going through, especially Pisces season. It's easy to, to go off into your mind and your imagination and, and neglect your physical reality. This is one of the reasons that Mercury is in its exile and its fall in Pisces because the, the details, the everyday details of life, the, the categories that we're able to separate things out into are really functioning very uh, in a boundarylessness way in Pisces. So it's not great for budgets and, 
it may not be great for your personal hygiene as well. So make sure you're showering and taking care of yourself, that you're checking, double checking all the numbers if you're and stay connected and grounded during this period of time as well while you're journeying. Here's why this is important. When you're going on the intellectual or emotional journeys, I would say emotional journeys of Pisces, it's very easy to get lost in that world, lost in the labyrinth. And what happens when you go to the extreme of getting lost in the labyrinth is that eventually you will have to wake up to physical reality and it will be, it will return with a vengeance. It will return in a way that is painful. If you get out of balance and equilibrium, you forget to pay the bills. You forget to take care of yourself. You get sick. You know, you uh, have a late fee on your, you know, rent or something like that. Whatever the bill is that you've neglected to pay because you've gone off into your imagination. It makes coming back and dealing with reality twice as painful. And if you balance out the dream with keeping one foot on the ground, it's, it's, an, it's an important container for that dream so that the dream doesn't become toxic, okay? It's really important. It was something that was really hard for me to learn as a young person who was a dreamer, okay? Please make no mistake about that. I, I was a musician, an artist, a poet. I live in this, this mythological world. I see things, symbols everywhere. There's, you know, like for some people, it's hard to tap into that. For me, I'm like overwhelmed by it all the time. This is, I think, part of having Mercury and the sun in the 12th house. We're just, just a flood of all of these subtle meaning things. And it can feel overwhelming. That's part of the self-undoing, I think, of the 12th house is just feeling overwhelmed by the the hidden realms of, of uh, reality to the point where it's really difficult sometimes to come back. And what I've had to learn is that I have to be super on point with my physical um, details. This is why I probably manifested a, a Virgo stellium in my second house. I need a budget. I need uh, a system to contain all these things so that I, when I do go off into these dream states that um, I'm not going to lose myself, right? Uh, I have a bird statue behind me. I don't know if any of you can see this. Um, I don't know if I can shift this here for a second. You can see over my shoulder here, there is a statue of a bird. And that bird is a, a nuthatch. This is a carving that my grandfather gave me when I was a teenager. And the nuthatch is a bird that is a woodpecker that can climb down trees. And uh, he wrote, he gave me a little like inscription on the bottom that I didn't even realize was there until like a few years ago, you know, that, that it was dedicated to me. And, and um, it's been a powerful uh, meditative symbol for me as far as being able to, to take that wisdom from the ethereal realms and ground it practically. That's why I do the work that I do here. That's why I like to teach, hopefully by bringing it to you in a way that's digestible. So be like the nuthatch during this period of time. Go off into the imaginal realm, but also balance it out with taking care of the physical reality so that you don't, the return isn't as painful as it could be, okay? Uh, the daimon or spirit with this decan is called Okeanos, which is, it roughly translates to ocean, right? But, but I, the Okeanos, I believe, was a series of rivers that surrounded the earth in the Greek 
uh, creation myths. But the, the, the way that we can think about it is somewhat similar. It, it is going into the, the ocean of consciousness, the rivers of consciousness, and you know, becoming one with the divine again. Okay. Um, there's some fixed stars in these decans that I go in more into depth in the webinars. I'm not going to spend too much time on them today, uh, but there is an important fixed star, Fomahal, at four degrees of Pisces that you should be aware of is a royal uh, watcher fixed star um, that is really about um, charisma and about being able to be that creative, almost like wizard-like figure. This is the way I've heard Austin Kopic describe it as the wizard star, is utilizing our our Gandalf powers to be able to create magic within our life on some level, to be Neo in the matrix and say, oh, I realize that I am a co-creator of this reality. And that means that I can start to manipulate some of the subtle rules that I'm playing by. You have to be careful too, that you don't um, over manipulate those rules. There's also the negative side of it is, you know, trying to utilize those subtleties um, only for self-serving purposes and, and trying to control others. That's, that's one thing that you have to be aware of. But some other themes, the process of return, the end of differentiated awareness, recognizing the imprisonment of our own reality, okay, so that you can become liberated from it, right? That's what the, the labyrinth was, was sort of this prison for our, you know, for the subconscious on some level. The siren song, I'm just looking through my notes here, exploring the subtle structures, uh, things like psychoanalysis, divination, metaphor and figurative language, symbolic awareness, um, confrontation with an internalized demiurgos. That's a, that's a quote, I believe, from Austin Kopic's book. So we're, we're uh, coming to terms with the fact that we also are creators as well as the divine. Okay. So liberation through your insight, through what you find through that inner journey, through that meditative practice, okay? All right, so let's break down the, the final aspects that we see during this period of time. And thank you all for hanging with me today. So we are looking at a period of time from February the 18th to February the 28th. And as you can see, on the 18th, the sun is now in Pisces. It has left the domicile of Saturn and is now co-present with Jupiter. Hallelujah, right? This might feel like a, a, a feeling of liberation and release, and um, but it's more, it's more about internal release. There's a freedom that comes from recognizing that you are, uh, I don't know, that you are some kind of dreamer, right? That you are dreaming the dream. Are you the dreamer or the dream, you know? So it's more of an internal liberation than a physical one, I think, in this case, an emotional liberation. So I wouldn't necessarily mistake this time period as, oh, all bets are off externally because Saturn is still in Aquarius and Saturn is still very strong and, and still in a place of exile and separation. Uh, so, but this may be where you finally are starting to come to terms with that, and the inner liberation is so important. As a, an introvert such as myself, I've I've had to go through this period of time throughout the course of the pandemic, just with you know living with this rich inner world, and that's really gotten me through a lot of the difficult times that we've all been going through. And for some of you that are more extrovert, I really I really empathize that this may be a very difficult time 
Um, but balance is the key, right? Being able to, to cultivate that inner world is important right now. And Deborah, thank you so much for the super chat. I really appreciate uh, your donation. Thank you so much. I, I appreciate you helping me to gift me the time to do all this research and to dive into these labyrinths and these oceanic waters and hopefully bring something valuable to you. Okay, so the 18th, sun moves into Pisces 1. The host of the sun changes. We see uh, the relationships change for the sun as well. We see the sun now come into sextile with Mars and Venus. We see the sun now come into a sextile with Uranus rather than a square. And the sun is also now co-present with Neptune. So again, that's another warning not to get too lost in the ocean of our mind. It's okay to go on a, a dream journey, but remember to, to take out the trash and to take a shower and you know come back down to earth every once in a while. Again, I tell you, because I can't tell you from experience, like here, here's an example with the budget. I, uh, when I was younger, I didn't have any awareness of what was going in and what was going out of my bank account. And I would routinely overspend my budget because I just didn't have attention towards it. And I got charged a number of late fees in my mid to late 20s um, because I was just had no awareness. And because I wasn't paying attention, I was losing even more money, right? And I had to dig my way out of it in a material way. So by me starting, I have, I have this program called You Need a Budget, YNAB. I love it. It's my favorite, one of my favorite things in the world. Highly recommend it. Everyone go check it out. It's a, it's a whole system of like how to deal with your resources. It's a philosophy, not just a budgeting program. And that completely changed my life. And it completely changed the way that where I don't have to think about it as much because I've put a system in place to deal with that thing and to create the awareness of it. So this is something where you know, your learning process may come through putting important systems in place so you don't get off track, okay? But be careful with Neptune there. Again, it's easy to get lost. It's easy to lose physical steam with Neptune transits. That's, that's been my main experience with that. I love the way Robert Schmidt describes Neptune as a transcendental moon, as a universal substance, Whereas Uranus is sort of like a, a transcendental uh, sun, universal idealism. And if we're thinking about Neptune as universal substance, it's, it can be devoid of consciousness sometimes. It could just like, like it's the planet that dissolves us back into the primordial ooze that we have to infuse consciousness in to create from. So you may feel like you're being dissolved into the couch <laughs> with Neptune transits. I know I do. Um, okay, so that's the 18th uh, with the ingress. Now, there's something very important that's going to be happening on the 21st in regards to our synodic cycle. So here, we're seeing the heliacal rise of Saturn. Okay. So this is where we have a, a degree of separation, 15 degree of separation between the sun and Saturn. Okay. So this is happening with Saturn at 17 degrees of Aquarius and the sun roughly at two to three degrees of Pisces, this, this 15 degree arc of separation. This is when Saturn becomes, literally becomes visible 
in the early morning hours. So we call this the heliacal morning rise of Saturn, rather than like the, the evening set that we saw with Jupiter, where it's the last time we could see Jupiter. Here's the first time we could see Saturn within this new cycle after it got reborn in the heart or the furnace of the sun. So what does this mean? This means that the new system that we were in impregnating into Saturn is going to become visible for some of the first times. Okay, the new system, the new reality, the new agreements we make as a community, because it's Saturn and it's a very outer planet, may begin to be visible. Now, there's a fixed star that this planet is conjoining as it becomes visible, and it's called Suolosin. Suolosin is uh, the dolphin in Delphinus. Delphinus? I think that's how you say it. Delphinus or Delphinius. And so this is a constellation that has to, it's actually sort of positive. This is a, a positive, in, a, a playful animal where it, it, we could think about it as an intelligent playfulness, potentially eccentric thinking, but living between worlds that we see in that six of swords experience. All right. So, so this is where you have to maybe think about how can you lighten your load a little bit? How can you think, um, outside of the, the consensus reality on some level, but also in a way that is very communicative as well. Like dolphins are really intelligent creatures and they love to play. So even though we're talking about a Saturn cycle, maybe this is the beginning of a new playfulness in that area of your life as well. I think the main takeaway I have from this is that here are the new philosophical platonic ideals that a society is going to draw upon. My hope, honestly, my hope around this period of time is that something, some kind of movement happens with something like the voting rights bill, where maybe there is some change that happens at the Kazemi of Saturn and the sun, where they figure out a way to move this forward. And then we finally see it get passed around this period of time, because I think it's so very, very important for the future of our democracy to make sure that we have equal access to to voting um, for for everyone, no matter where they live or, or what they look like or their economic status. That's uh, I think it should be an American, um, a core fundamental ideal. And I think it's a real disservice what some uh, of these people in positions of power are trying to do to make it harder. And it's something that makes me very angry. Um, so I, I hope that, that that is part of what we're looking at here. Fingers crossed. Uh, Age of Joy says, thinking of Uranus and Neptune as transcendental luminaries makes a lot of sense to me. Well, thank you. Thank you, Joy. Uh, yeah, it made a lot of sense to me too. And, and just to, 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 um, to round out that trio, Robert Schmidt thinks of Pluto as a transcendental Mercury, uh, as, as something that is creating a go-between or change is, is the mixing the, the soup between the, uh, the, the meaning of the sun and the substance of the moon. There has to be something that is stirring the drink, like the, like the magician here, right? The one who is, is acting upon those two interesting ideals. And there, it, it, that, that makes me think of maybe even we could look at the relationship between those three planets as uh, Uranus is what we are, as a collective, are trying to, to bring into reality. 
Neptune is the substance that we're working with. And Pluto is, is the action that's taking place to do that. So if we were to just do a, a small digression here, Uranus is in Taurus trying to change the way we deal with our material resources and that we have ideals about how we're supposed to change that right now. Substance of, of Neptune in the third decan of Pisces is that there's some extremes of, of emotion. There's some uh, crusading energy around that. that We may have to make some extreme sacrifices to be able to change the way that we deal with our material reality. And Pluto is saying, how do we administrate those resources? How do we, how, what changes are we going to make? What questions are we going to ask about the power structures of our life that will help us to utilize our resources in a way that's more fair? So that's a, that's a real interesting thought exercise to go through with all of that. Okay. So again, February 21st, revelation of some kind of new intellectual system, potentially the revelation of new limits, new laws, new systems, uh, new things that we have to do to um, create a more balanced social life with one another, some agreements that we have to be bound to so that society will function properly. If we move forward, to the 23rd. We're round in the bend here. Thank you so much for sticking with me. As we get to February the 23rd, here is our last quarter moon. So I'm going to just make that aspect exact. So here is the last quarter moon at five degrees of Sagittarius squaring the Pisces sun at five degrees. So remember earlier, I talked about Dane Rudyard and the lunation cycle. So the, both of the squares of the sun and the moon were considered crisis points in that book. And the, the first quarter square was a material crisis of trying to bring something into being because the moon is waxing. It's increasing in light. We're trying to infuse the light of the sun into a material form. Now, when we have the moon at the last quarter square, the moon is waning. It's losing light. It's releasing something. So this is the existential crisis that leads us to make a shift and to let go of something. Okay, so we may have an existential crisis between the outer action, our outer philosophical movement, and our inner world that may be challenging and, how, and causing us to potentially re-examine some of our belief systems. I think this is a very like, what does it all mean type of last quarter. Uh, and, and it may be frustrating. There may be some action that you want to take because the first decan of Sagittarius is all about speed and action. It's also associated with Loimos, the god of plagues. So there may also be some questions about, you know, COVID and things like that and how we're moving forward with all of those things, uh, that would not surprise me at all. Um, and uh, we, we may have some frustration because we want to move forward, but the you know, it's really requiring an inner journey right now. So take the time to, to slow down, I think is the first thing at this last quarter moon. Uh, realize that you can take a journey, whether it's inner or outer. Uh, one of the things I've been talking about with my 
lovely young daughter is is uh, she is wanting to become a, a librarian. And we've been talking a lot about uh, how books can take us on journeys and connect us to worlds and different worlds. And, and they are the great um, creators of empathy because we can experience someone else's reality. We can travel to distant lands. We can be a different person or a different character so that we can learn from that experience. This would be a great time, I think, to get some great books from the library and go on some of those inner journeys, I think, as well. If you're feeling restless, that can, it can be a really healing experience, I think. Um, the sun is also going to be conjoining a fixed star called Deneb Aldige, A-D-I-G-E. I think that's how you say it. And that's the, the swan. Uh, that's in the, the constellation Cygnus or the swan. And Bernadette Brady calls that a shaman star, which talks about inner journeying. Um, swans are also very territorial. So there may be some issues of territorialism that come up at this last quarter uh, moon as well. So again, themes of action versus ideals, uh, confusion potentially over your outer action uh, when inner, inner journeying is, is maybe required. And then haste due to wishing things are better than they actually are. This is something I've seen in my community is people going about their, their lives as, as if nothing is going on. And we're seeing, um, as of the time I'm recording this, some of the biggest spikes in the pandemic of, of COVID that we've, we've seen throughout these last couple of years. And a lot of it is because we've, at various points in this journey, we've hoped that things were done or over, that we could just release some of the limitations. And it turned out that they weren't. And it's painful. It's it's frustrating and it's a it's an endurance test. It's a marathon and it's we're having to make a lot of tough choices between our mental health and our physical health and our emotional health. And it's I guess what I'll say and I said this last week with Sam was you know it's a it's a difficult time and I think that uh, a lot of folks are struggling right now and, and you shouldn't feel bad if if you're struggling right now because I think that this is one of the most challenging periods, I think, in anybody's life right now. I don't think any of us have experienced anything quite like this in our lifetimes. So hang in there. You know, I, I do think that there will be an end to some of this, or, or at least there will be an, an ability of humanity to adapt. That's one of the things about being human is we really can uh, adapt quite well to challenges in life to keep surviving. Uh, Tanya uh, Gerardo is saying, isn't Den Denim around 23 degrees of Aquarius? Good catch, Tanya. There are actually two Denebs. There is Deneb, uh, I believe, Al DJ, or Al, I believe, what is that one called? We've got Deneb, yeah, Al Getty, Deneb Al Getty, and Deneb DJ. They're two different stars. Deneb Al Getty is at 23 degrees of Aquarius, and that is the tail of Capricorn. So, um, I love that we've got fixed star folks in the audience today. Uh, so, so the, the, the Deneb al one is more about, it was called the ancient lawgiver. So there's some themes about how do we organize society with that fixed star, rather than this one being in the constellation of Cygnus, which is more about shamanic, I believe, shamanic journeying. So a little bit of, it's, they do sound really similar though. So that is, yes, yeah, so that is a, a very easy um, thing to conflate with those two stars, but Deneb L L DJ is at 23 
Deneb, I can't even say them right, they're so close. Deneb al Gedi is at 23 degrees Aquarius, and Deneb al Gij is at 5 degrees Pisces. Okay? All right. So that's our last quarter moon. Uh, simultaneously, while this last quarter moon is taking place, there will be another aspect perfecting between Mars and Neptune. Okay? So we've got Mars at 22 degrees of, of Capricorn, getting closer to its degree of exaltation, um, which I believe is at 28 Capricorn. And with Neptune in Pisces, at, in the third decan of Pisces. So uh, again, this could be about uh, utilizing the, the systems in your life, Capricorn 3, utilizing the, the, the way that you organize the resources that you've created to be able to uh, go on some kind of crusade for something that you believe in. That's some of the themes of Pisces 3 is the crusading energy. Uh, it is a Mars rule decan. So it's like, it asks you, what are you willing to sacrifice for your dream? You know, what are you, what are you willing to do? What, ex what emotional extremes are you willing to go to to, to, to get what you want um, for a spiritual purpose? So again, I think it's, uh, it's important for you to take authoritative action around this period of time but it may require some sacrifice. All right, let's, uh, oh, one more. There's one more. I knew I was going to forget that. You can also see that on the same day, the 23rd, uh, Venus will also be making and applying sextile to Neptune as well. So Mars hits it first, and then Venus is going to hit it later in the day. So again, similar themes, but we, we're, we are going to be potentially taking action to utilize some of our, organize some of our resources for that specific uh, crusade. And then with Venus, after we've taken action, we, we may have to be receptive. We may have to uh, learn that there's something that we have to receive and op be open to receive rather than utilizing the yang energy. This is one of the things about Mars and Venus being so close together for the next few weeks is we're going to have to do this dance of taking maybe aggressive action and then opening ourselves up to receive that dance of yin and yang um, and knowing when to to do each one uh, i think is important so you know it's it's going to feel sort of like gas breaks gas breaks you know <laughs> like uh action rest you know all of those things for for a few more weeks um and the next conjunction is going to be at zero degrees aquarius which is right where uh right where the, the Saturn-Jupiter conjunction was at the winter solstice of 2020. So a really important degree. We might see something pretty interesting around that period of time, which is going to come in a, in a week or two. Okay, last thing we've got for February is on the 24th of February, Mercury is going to be making a square to Uranus. So... Here's Uranus. We've been talking about that in the second decan of Taurus. Here's Mercury hanging out in the second decan of Aquarius, and they are going to be kind of having a difficult conversation. So what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Well, this could be some unexpected messages that you receive, uh, some difficult communications between um, the people on the frontier and the people in the, the center. Uh, regarding resources, I, I could see this being a negotiation uh, with government officials around how to distribute resources in a crisis situation. 
Um, remember, we talked about there is an a increased possibility of things like natural disasters or fluctuations in, in financial markets. I think we probably around this period of time may be seeing some arguments between the powers that be about how to, to help with that. Um, these are stubborn fixed positions that could lead to conflict. And this could lead to conflict in your own life too, in your personal life about how your idealism could come face to face with the, the way that you organize the daily habits and rhythms of your life. That's, that's really Taurus too, is, is how can you become consistent? And Mercury is in a place that may shake things up a little bit. So there's a shakeup of rhythms here. Um, some other notes I wrote down for this aspect is potential freedom of speech issues could come up where people want to express themselves, but there is a, they're doing it in a way that's very rebellious or revolutionary or, or progressive or something of that nature, and that could cause some upheavals. Um, and again, difficult negotiations regarding charity and public welfare, potentially. So I guess on a personal level, at the end of February, think before you speak potentially remember that communication could get a little uh testy a little cold a little um fixed and try to remain flexible again we're all being asked to make um, sacrifices and we're all being asked to think outside the box about how to survive in a difficult time period so you may have to to come up with an innovative solution around the end of the month and talk about it. Communi communication is really the key. I think that a lot of conflicts can be resolved through positive communication or just through effective, clear communication, right? I was talking to a client the other day about the four agreements. Um, and those things are really important. I, I really recommend that book, Don Miguel Ruiz. Uh, and I, I, sometimes I always forget one of them, but it, uh, the basic gist of it, if I can remember all of them is don't make assumptions get clarification, right? Uh, always do your best. Sometimes your best is going to be different from one day to the next and do the best that you can in that particular moment. Be impeccable with your word. That's important too. Like, so it's important maybe even not to, not to speak ill of someone or to, or to say something that you don't mean. Right. And then the last one, oh geez, what is the last one? I got hung up on a different one that I forgot. So somebody who knows the four agreements, <laughs> tell me what the last one is here. Uh, remember, I have a 20 second delay. So I just, I'm hanging on the line here. <laughs> but we've got, don't make assumptions, be impeccable with your word. And uh, I don't know, I forget. It's always happens. I always like get three out of the four. But the, even those three will, I think, help you to move forward with your life uh, and to clear up communication. Oh, don't take things personally. That's, that was the last one. Sorry. Don't take things personally. That's a hard one, isn't it? And I think Mercury at this point with this square with Uranus is saying, Hey, how can we have an objective conversation without, uh, making everything about us? You know, a lot of times the conflicts that we have aren't necessarily about us at all. It's about just someone else's narrative, someone else's perspective. So how can we have some empathy and, and not take a, a challenge like that so personally? And that can lead us, I think, out of this uh, challenging square between these two planets. Okay. That is the astrology of February. 
Uh, just a little preview of March. You got a new moon on the, the 2nd of March at 12 degrees of Pisces conjoining um, Jupiter in Pisces. That should be interesting. And then a Jupiter Kazemi on the 5th. They're also going to be squares um, eventually between, I believe, Jupiter, I'm sorry, Mars and Venus and Uranus in that particular area of time as well. So some challenging squares with Uranus, again, making us uh, think outside the box, some unexpected things coming up in our life, but also a fairly positive new moon can join Jupiter that I'm pretty excited about. So keep your eyes peeled for that. Let's get through this period of time, though, where we have to live within these limitations and navigate them with grace, right? Um, I'm going to stop my share for a second here and finish this up. So, again, I think we've been talking about the fly enough where we don't have to completely rehash that, but that's the animal symbol for the, for the month. Uh, here, here are some of the notes that I wrote down. Change, growth, persistence in reaching goals. Um, population increases rapidly. Fixed, oh, let me see, finding value in things that others consider trash. Keep your environment clean or your body clean. Uh, don't let the little things irritate you. Get a bigger perspective. Two eyes made up of 4,000 smaller eyes, seeing things from different angles and multiple viewpoints. So that's important with all of our Aquarius stuff. Again, taking care of the details, but also having a wider vision as well. And then number 62, hexagram number 62, is called exceeding smallness, preponderance of the small, smallness and excess, conscientiousness, keeping a low profile, reigning in your ambitions, maintaining your dignity in everyday life, and paying attention to the details. And the quote from Jack M. Balkin and the Laws of Change, my favorite translation, says, Exceeding smallness, success. It is beneficial to persevere. Small things may be done, but great things should not be done. The flying bird leaves behind its song. One should not go up, one should go down. Great good fortune. Okay? So, here's what I wrote down for this. Stay humble. Maintain a low profile during this period of time. Stay grounded like the nuthatch. Stick to your everyday matters and your ordinary routine. You don't necessarily have to do anything crazy out of the ordinary right now because it's winter. We're not going on this huge journey right now in the middle of winter where there's no resources and we might freeze to death and get hypothermia. There will be a time for journeying, but today is the time, the winter time, the winter season, that no matter where you are, right, is a time where we have to work within the limitations that we have, the Saturnian limits. Pay attention to the minutia of life while also understanding how it fits into the bigger picture, okay? Little steps can multiply like the fly, remember? One little fly can create 500 more, right? Don't bite off more than you can chew in a time of scarcity. That's important. A lot of times we underestimate the time it takes to, and the commitment that it takes to do something in a project. I do this all the time. I underestimate my webinars all the time, how long it takes me. And I sometimes I have some painful weeks leading up to it because I'm so meticulous about all the things that I want to put into it. And I always underestimate how long it takes to do it. Um, so, so try to pace yourself. Be realistic about what you can achieve. Accept the current limitations of Saturn and Aquarius. Potentially lower your expectations to avoid defeat, failure, and suffering. I know that doesn't, that's not like the most inspiring thing, but that can keep you sane, you know, and in a time that requires that, that might be the smartest thing that you can do. Be conservative with your expenditures and finances. 
being frugal, I think, is important during this period of time, especially if we if we see if Michael Bryant, who is a very good astrologer, okay, very good, if he's right, there may be some fluctuation with our financial markets, and we may need to really, you know, reel in our budgets and and make do with less for a, a temporary period of time. So hang in there. Thank you so much, Scarlett, for the super chat. Uh, I appreciate you. I appreciate all of you. I love going on these journeys with you. Uh, if you are enjoying these, please hit that like button, subscribe to the channel, leave me a comment, tell me about your experience over the course of February. Uh, if you have a question, I'll try to get to the question. I always love checking the comments. Um, if you want to make a donation, there's the super chat feature that you can do here, or you can buy me a coffee at buymeacoffee.com. Um, or sign up for a reading or, or join me at the webinars. Those are great, great ways to support the work that I do here. Um, I try to share as much as I can on this channel. And then I, I have more in-depth stuff that I do in these webinars. And that's a great way to support the work that I do is come and join me for those. And you can also get a recording if you can't join me live as well. Um, but yeah, hopefully you'll be able to join me for the decans of, of Aquarius on February the 12th at 1 p.m. on Saturday. And remember, there's a 20% discount with the code Aquarius20 until the 1st of February. So that's what I've got here today for all of you. Thank you so much for being with me today. And uh, I hope that uh, February treats you well. And um, remember, be kind to one another, be kind to yourself, and we'll all get the, through this together, uh, hopefully. So take care, everyone. Peace.